This week's episode of the Berman Hour podcast is brought to you by New Wave Flow State Coffee. Coffee for creativity. They've been down with the Berman Hour podcast since day one, and we love their coffee. Get 10% off your order by going to newwave.co slash Berman. N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N. Flow State Coffee is coffee that's blended with raw cacao and L-theanine, which is an amino acid that naturally reduces stress and anxiety. And when you drink this coffee, you can tell it ain't your regular coffee. It is better. You'll feel better. You'll be more focused. You'll be more productive. And did I mention that you're going to feel better? That's the most important thing. Newwave.co slash Berman. They're supporting the Berman Hour podcast. If you buy from them, they support us even more. Let's get it. Welcome to the Berman Hour Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Berman. Thank you for tuning in. My guest this week is Tony Bucci, the best friend I never had, from the band Broken Field Runner. Their newest record, Field, is fantastic. It is my favorite record of the year so far, and I highly recommend you listen to it now. Broken Field Runner, Field. So it turns out Tony and I have been running in the exact same circles, been in the same room at the same time, many times, but we never actually met each other, which is unfortunate because I really like talking to him quite a lot, and I know that you all will enjoy this wonderful interview. Before we go any further, I need to ask that you please rate, review, and subscribe to the Berman Hour podcast because it's incredibly helpful, and if you're feeling so inclined, please look for All the Heels Podcast, my new wrestling podcast that I'm doing with my friends Amanda Bones and Bradley Palermo. All the Heels Podcast. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to that podcast too if you want to hear some touring independent musicians talk about professional wrestling and the new television drama series Heels, which you can see on Sunday nights on Stars Network. That podcast has been a lot of fun, as has the Berman Hour been a lot of fun recently and i'm happy to be sharing it with all of you so enjoy my conversation with tony bucci from broken field runner and let's get i have a question that i'm almost ashamed to ask Go ahead. Because I feel really bad. That's fine. Have we ever actually met in person? No, not in person. Okay. To, to my knowledge. Thank goodness. I was like, <laughs> I, I have this habit of following people on Instagram mm-hmm. and thinking that they're other people. Yeah. And then I say something about their life to them in person. Like, hey, man, how are the kids? I don't have kids. What are you talking about? <laughs> that has happened multiple times. I just I get confused between people's real names because I'm bad with their names anyway, and then whatever their Instagram handle. It can be confusing, yeah. and and you you know I have two right. I have the the more low key personal Instagram, and then I have the band Instagram. So um, and it's it gets confusing, you know, sometimes. So I don't no, I don't blame you. Good, good. <laughs> If I remember correctly, 
I reached out to you to play a show with me in Albany or Syracuse in 2014, and you were very helpful. And then we had a venue dip out on us on the last minute. I yes, I whole thing. You are 100% spot on. That's funny that you found that correspondence. That's exactly what happened. You uh, reached out to me. Um, I am originally from Albany, New York. Both of us are northeastern, uh, northeasterners. Correct. You're yeah. in Pennsylvania right now. I am. I'm back. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, but you briefly lived, or or I should say, you for a time you lived in Los Angeles. Correct. I was there for 12 years. That's what time. I thought. Yeah, not yeah. even briefly. Yep. <laughs> so w- I am from upstate New York, and I lived in Albany for 11 years when I went to college. And I was, you know, trying to do shows. There was like a social justice center that we used to do shows at in Albany. Um, But you're correct. Uh, Something, I don't remember if it was the venue that dipped out or if it was one of the bands we were going to have. But when I remember your band name and your your name coming back up again is when uh, my wife and I moved to Los Angeles. Um, I played a show at the Redwood Bar in Mm -hmm. downtown L.A., at, with my friend Matt Graham, who at the time was playing an event called uh, Cement Shoes, but now mm-hmm. he uh, plays in Sundressed. And okay. he was like, I, I was like, how did you get this venue? What's the deal with this venue? And he said, oh, my friend Jeff from Divided Heaven. And I was like, I know Divided Heaven. And then <laughs> um, I was introduced uh, by my record label to your record label out here in Southern California. So yeah, it, it was just, it's, serendipitous you know diy punk music worlds colliding for sure that's great unfortunately i i wish i would have known or or i wish i would have paid better attention because it would have been nice to have connected while we were both in la when did you move to los angeles i moved to la in october of 2016 so in a couple months it'll be five years god damn that's a lot of time that's a lot of missed opportunities i feel like we could have done some (laughs) cool shit together well Early on, man, I I didn't even know what I was doing. I was living in Silver Lake, and I had a roommate who was signed to Columbia Records, and I was having, like, (laughs) small fish in a huge pond syndrome, you know? So I wasn't even, I was like, I don't know if I could do this anymore. Maybe I should stop making music, you know? But then released a bunch of albums anyway. So I don't know. For a while, it was difficult. It would have been difficult for me to, to know to even reach out to you so yeah but it's almost I could have been that much more of an olive branch now I feel even worse because I remember (laughs) when I moved to Los Angeles it was not easy and I had a tenacity and a swagger about me because I was living in fucking New York City Ah. and I thought oh if I could you know quote unquote make it here you know I had a I built a really good life for myself in, in New York and I thought I could do the same in Los Angeles and I think that would be a better fit. But those first two years in LA were not easy. Like I, I think there's a misconception about landing in Los Angeles. It can be a very lonely place. It can be a very difficult place. But, you know, if you find a stride, it can be a really easy place too. I'm glad you felt that too. You know, when we first got here, I felt like we made a terrible mistake for exactly that reason. <laughs> I, I uh, was going to ask you, uh, since you brought it up, um, how did you end up finding your footing? Like what, who or what gave you, um, you know, your first shot in LA? Like I had to play backyard 
shows like in people's like my friends backyards before a venue would give me a chance so how did it work out for you personally i worked for a chef at a restaurant in park slope big pop park slope right Mm -hmm. and that chef got hired at a restaurant in hollywood and she vouched for me so i got a job within the first two days of living in in oh wow yeah and it was it was a good restaurant that had uh, not high volume, but VIP clientele tips were good. So I was making money immediately, which was a huge relief. That said, I didn't play music for the entire first year that oh, I wow. was in LA. It was quasi depression, quasi, it didn't get me anywhere beforehand, yada, yada, yada. And then uh, I, I've told the story many times. I, I played one show, I met one person who believed in me, my friend Bradley. And decided to record eight songs with him. He said eight songs is kind of weird. Why don't we do ten? Fully noting that your new record has eight songs. We'll get to that. <laughs> this is a long-winded way of saying I found my footing because I had good I, I was making good money. And then the music stuff came later. However, I don't feel like I did well musically in LA. And I can say that on behalf of me and all my bandmates. We never played the fucking troubadour. We mm. never played the Roxy, like all mm-hmm. of these little LA goals that we had, you know, we, we packed and, and pretty much sold out the Redwood twice. We had some other really, really great shows in Pasadena and other places. And there was a point in time, like 2014, 2015, where the iron was the hottest, I would say. Sure. But man, like, I don't, I feel like we never found our footing, which was why we toured so much, Yeah, which was part of the reason it was like essential for our survival and it was the the reason for the demise not the demise of the band or the brand thankfully but the demise of the, the nuclear units that i had created with certain band members because i i just pushed them too hard because like there was nothing for us at home yeah so i appreciate you thinking that we had any sort of whatever but we were eating shit sandwiches the whole time and it was the same thing like playing like weird open mics to start and then it would be like getting on stage and playing three songs before my friend's band set and then it was right playing a hot topic at the glendale galleria and then it was like <laughs> the cats the cat club which was like weirdly pay to play but i dodged that bullet and then it just like so i climbed up the ladder but not you know we Did climbed up start- the ladder further honestly we climbed up a ladder further in places like tucson and oh yeah, San Francisco and Seattle than we ever did in Los Angeles. It's just well, the way first of all, Tucson is a wonderful city to play. So I don't, I don't doubt right. that Tucson came out for you guys uh, at all. Um, did you find because you're you're sort of uh, alluding to something that definitely happened with me as well? I found it easier to try the solo route, right. Uh, to sneak on, you know what I mean? I'll play three songs here or, um, can I, you know, jump on your backyard set and play a couple songs or whatever. I found it easier to get shows as a solo, um, performer than it was to like convince some promoter to get a a full band lineup. And because of that, it's been hard to sort of convince lifers to be a part of your, project i always that's that's the biggest probably struggle about la for me was that um everyone comes to la to pimp their project so no one wants to be a part of your project they're doing their project you know 
ding, ding, motherfucking <laughs> ding. Yes. Eloquently put, Tony. Yes, that is exactly <laughs> it. People who are, who is it? Frank Turner has that great line where it's like, yeah, we're all too selfish or something. So we all end up being singer songwriters and the ones that don't turn into DJs. And that is exactly, it was almost Literally. like right when I turned 30, that was exactly what happened. And now that I'm, you know, inching closer towards 40 every day. It's like, I realized that I'm, I'm glad I'm, I stuck with it. And I have in my notes here, I was really thinking about your records, like your first record. And then this new one, which is absolutely fantastic. I realized like our journeys are not too dissimilar. You know, we have a lot of, uh, shared experience seemingly that we put into our lyrics as, as well. Presuming that they're not all, uh, not all your songs are fictional. I, I know that you kind of dive into that from time to time, but sure. But yeah, but that's something that I recognized in you. And again, again, this is just bumming me out. It's making me wish <laughs> that much more that we had become friends when we both lived in the same city. But we'll find our way. We'll to find each other. our way. Because uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, someday we will. So tell me about growing up in upstate New York. Are you from Albany proper, or are you from somewhere else? I'm not from Albany proper, but close enough to, so for people who live outside of the Northeast, there's a part of upstate New York, which is anywhere above New York city that is called the capital region. So I am from just outside of the capital region to the South in a place that now is little Brooklyn and absolutely gentrified to hell place called Hudson, New York. When I was growing up there, it was not, it was not, uh, right. you know, uh, sporting um, art galleries owned by the bassist of Hole. It was uh, rough and tumble, you know. Um, I, I lived in, in Hudson. I grew up in Hudson. Generations of my family grew up in Hudson. And I went to high school uh, at Hudson High School. I was musical, uh, interested in music but was introduced to like punk and DIY music when a friend in middle school gave me the life in the fat lane, uh, (laughs) uh, fat music volume four. And I was as well as uh, um, dude ranch by blink 182. And I was introduced to that, uh, you know, fast drum beat. And that that's all I ever wanted to play from like probably 12 years old onward, you know, in high school, because I was in high school in the early 2000s, the early aughts, I got introduced to, you know, the Long Island uh, pop punk emo movement of like the Taking Back Sundays and, the you know, brand new and uh, the movie life and those kind of bands, which you can definitely hear. Uh, yeah, you're not going to stand. You're not going to stand for hazy eyes anymore. Just <laughs> not gonna... <laughs> exactly. Um and uh, yeah, yeah. And then I was in this band. Uh, I bring up that like fast punk beat because there was I was in a band throughout pretty much my entire twenties called uh, Caleb Lionheart, which was like a um, you know that it was that era of the late two thousands, early twenty tens fast pop punk stuff. You were in Caleb Lionheart. I was the yeah. I was the singer. Jesus Caleb fucking Lionheart. Christ! Oh my god. <laughs> So you, you, <laughs> our paths really almost did cross. No, I saw like. your band. Yeah, oh, I don't know yeah. if we met. I can't remember that we met, but I saw your band. Uh, in, in where? Because we did used to play a lot of like 
Lancaster, Pennsylvania? No, no, I was long gone. I moved out oh, here in were. 2000. Okay. Which, how old are you? I am 34. Okay, so yeah, not that much, but yeah, by the time I was, I had left, you were, yeah, we don't need to get into how old I am, but <laughs> the, when I was in Brooklyn, I feel like I saw Caleb Lionheart a few oh, times. Oh, yeah, so for a time, there was um, uh, this kid from uh, Sheep's Head Bay who played drums for us for a minute, but we yeah. also, we played a ton of shows uh, at the McGibbon Lofts, our friends uh, then opened uh, Suburbia. So you're you know what I mean? Kidding you're, me. Yeah. You're so you, you, yeah. yeah I lived that. in the McGibbon Lofts. Okay. So that's 100% <laughs> where you saw us play. Yeah. We played so many shows. So that's certainly where. Yeah. <laughs> we're ships in the night, my Dude, friend. We're ships it, in the night. It's so interesting. So I'm going to bring up a name. Do you know Barry Cohen? Of course I know Barry. Barry yeah. Yeah, I, she Absolutely. keeps telling me her name is, is Generic Cohen. insight, yeah. Yeah, but I think her name is really Cohen. She's just been ribbing me all these years. But she was, I mean, she in, in a lot of ways was like, is the only reason I'm still doing any of this because she was my first champion, or, or the first person to champion Divided Heaven, her and Sam, Sam Barrett, who now runs Punk News. And without the two of them in those first few shows that I played in in Brooklyn, like I don't think it would have ended up anywhere. And I think I, if I remember correctly, I met both of them at a Gaslight Anthem show at a bar in Greenpoint. I think Barry Cohen was the person that introduced me to your band. So while I was still in New York, not really playing a whole lot because I was nervous about doing the solo thing was when sure. I had seen Caleb Lionheart a few times. I believe that. Yeah. I believe that 100%. We played, I think, generic two generic Insight Fests. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, yeah, you a hundred percent. Because didn't they? It was like uh, a old like party warehouse that was emptied out somewhere in Brooklyn. They called it the Party Expo, and it was just a big empty room. That's where we. I mean, I've played a bunch of shows in Brooklyn throughout the late two thousands, early twenty tens. But that's that's what I remember. Um, and yeah, I mean, very ubiquitous at those shows. When yeah, we used to play down there. Yeah, you know, it's so. When I moved to LA, I came back and played one show over like a winter break. And I think it was supposed to be at Party Expo. Maybe it still was. I can't remember. But it was an odd lineup because it was me solo. And then it was that band Crucial Dudes. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I was like, somehow it worked. Like it just kind of gelled together. But yeah, that that time is is kind of fuzzy. But why Los Angeles or why not Los Angeles? What, What brought you to Los Angeles? So honest to God, I was like, okay, so I I moved from Hudson, which is only 45 minutes away from Albany, to Albany Mm -hmm. um, to go to college. And I also went to graduate school there. So, and then immediately after graduate school, I worked at a coffee shop up there. And then out of that coffee shop, I worked at a not-for-profit. So I just moved from my small town to another small town and lived there for 11 years. Okay, And my uh, girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, she was going through growing pains of like, I don't, you know, she was from Clifton Park, which is like maybe 45 minutes north sure. of Albany, you yeah. know, so not that far away. And she was like, I don't know if I can continue to live in the city, you know, and it's just small town drama bullshit. Am I ever going to see another city? And yeah. I was sort of feeling the same way. I was on the verge of 30. Like, am I, am I going to live and die here in this town? Um, and we we visited places like Portland and uh, Austin, 
we sort of threw darts at a map and we had two friends who moved here first and one of them helped me get a job at a coffee shop and the other helped my wife get a job at this pie shop called the pie hole which uh yeah I don't sure know if you remember yeah so which one is she is she at the one in the arts district or the she one was in... at the one in okay. the arts district yep yep Yep. God damn. So yeah, I'm telling you, ships in the night. We, I bet we you were... we've been in the same room like on multiple occasions on both coasts, and we just didn't know it. I would say <laughs> so. That's so funny about yeah. you knowing Barry and living in the McKibben lofts and all that. Yeah. Good times. Jesus Christ. Well, let's let's dive into the new record. It's fucking great. Thanks, it's called. Man. You're very welcome. It's called Field. Is that your attempt to kind of? having it be a self-titled record without having it be actually self-titled like is it is it meant to represent you in that manner i i would say so so i released a record in 2019 a full length called lay my head down and in writing for that i had maybe four or five additional songs that didn't sound anything like those songs um and wouldn't have worked on that record uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. So I decided to release that as an EP. And when so we were going through this whole thing, like, should we release it as like a new project name? Because it was sort of like a digital sounding record. Um, and what I decided to do instead, because I continued to write songs that also didn't sound anything like that record, was to write for three EPs that are like one self-titled record so the ep that i put out maybe well it's actually over a year ago so in may of 2020 in the heat of the pandemic we put out an ep called broken so then this is field and i do have an ep in the can that hasn't been released yet called runner so yeah i guess you could say it is a self-titled record yeah i actually forgot that broken was an ep i thought that broken was because you had kind of done a rash of singles around that point right yeah. Um, and yeah. we did it. So I mean, that's a whole nother topic, but I was a little disheartened by the fact that when we put out lay my head down after the album was released, it felt like interest was just like, no, ma- no matter how many show to- shows I played um, it, everyone was just like, okay, what's next? What's the next thing to listen to? Yeah. Um, and it was hard to keep people's attention. So I was like, all right, I've heard people say that if you release uh, a single once a month or once every six weeks or so. Yeah, um, the you algorithms get a little bit more. Spotify yeah, which yeah. is so stupid. But it did work, to be honest. M- I had much more interest around this uh, album. Um, so that, that was really the idea. And especially during the pandemic, oh my gosh, I released one single and then released the EP. Um, and it literally was just, I you know, Obliterated has more plays than the entire ep so, interesting yeah interesting yep. yeah it's a common theme here on the berman hour for better or for worse I, I think my audience is kind of tired of hearing about me talk to other musicians <laughs> about this but it's it's something that we've been we as musicians have been uh struggling with and it, it feels very much it makes every decision feel kind of like a reckoning moment because you're old enough to remember myspace you're also old enough to remember the extinction of that music platform absolutely and so to have something that is the metric for the industry just fucking disappear was really really strange and it's like a 
a very mild case of, of PTSD or something where it's like we're all putting our eggs into this basket of Spotify. We're not getting paid very well for it. And we're told that we'll do well if we do X, Y, and Z, but there's no guarantee to it. And then you kind of see certain labels and certain bands that seem like they're at the cool kids table. And it just it, it's enough to drive anybody crazy. Were you doing that because... I don't know. Did you like releasing music like that? Or did you just feel like you were serving these asshole masters? I mean, if I'm being totally legit and straightforward, yes, I do feel a little bit like I'm um, serving these asshole masters. But it, because, you know, I, especially with a record like Field, I was I, I mean, I attempted to create like uh, an environment that begins at track one and ends at the end of the last track, you know, and to have to break that up into singles, I think is almost even more jarring for somebody who tries to, to consume it as a, as a whole, because then now they already know those singles and maybe they even think of those singles as little planets or little islands. So it's, I, I mean, I, maybe this is just me way overthinking it, but it feels a little bizarre to be like, no way. Uh, so that single that you really like actually comes after this spoken word thing that I do. Yeah. And I want you to be around for the whole thing. And I'm, t I promise it all fits together. It's a little bit much, it, it, but then again, it's even more difficult right now to just hand somebody an EP and be like, this is five songs with three spoken word pieces. Digest it, you know? So. Yeah. I think normally I would call bullshit on everything that you just said. Yeah. <laughs> because. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would do it politely, but I would say that Go ahead, you can. No, but I I think you're right because when I heard Obliterated, the first single off of Field, I I grew accustomed to it. I really liked it, but it's it's not in my top three favorites on on the record. You know, wow. it's it's like uh, so I, I'm not saying that it was like a uh, disingenuous introduction to the the record at all it's totally fine you know your prerogative for whatever singles you want to put out first or whatever like that's all the respect in the world for that i think that it was a um the acclamation to that you're right set my ex expectations on a certain course and when i heard the full record like i realized i was more than a few degrees off of of the trajectory of what i was expecting but i think that that's a good thing so I, I give you credit for that. But do you, you know, if, if Broken was five songs, Field is technically eight, but three of them are spoken words, which I am very curious to learn more about. Do you consider this still an EP or does this fall into a record category for you or does it make a difference anymore for you? Oh, this is very, this is a conversation I had on a different podcast because I, it's, I think you could argue either way right? Spotify thinks it's a, an album. I think when I release the next single, it will be placed in the albums category rather than in the quote unquote singles category, which is Spotify ever going to just create an EPs category? Because it's it really is offensive to my sensibilities to look through Spotify <laughs> and see sure. full EPs under singles. But anyway, um, I, you know, there, I think there's something to be said about either one. In my brain, I consider it an EP. You know, um, if I didn't care at all about the algorithm uh, or playability or streams, I probably would have had those spoken word pieces actually as part of those tracks and flow into them. 
You get what I'm saying? Where they wouldn't yeah. be separate tracks with their own names. Sure. But I, <laughs> I was working with um, this producer named Jaden Seely, good friend of mine. He's in this band called With Confidence, which is like a pop punk band. But he also writes very pop forward songs for other musicians. He's he, that's how he makes most of his money is is you know recording engineering, but also helping write. Uh, with other musicians and he would never have allowed me to put those spoken word pieces as part of the tracks um, just for playability and for, you know, and he would have been like, dude, there's no, I can't. Yeah. No that, that may have been the kiss of death, but if yeah. you take, if you take the three, the first one is called until the second one is called you and the last one is called make peace. Yes. So it's the, at the beginning, mo- more or less in the middle and then close to the end, second to last, yeah. I believe. Mm-hmm. what's the statement that you're trying to make with those titles as they come together? It takes balls to do that. Like, here's a new record. Oh, by the way, the first song is this spoken word, you know, intro. It's not even intro. It's like a minute and a half, dude. And it's about death. It's about heavy shit. That's not the most inviting thing, but somehow I think you pull it off. What was your thinking and rationale behind doing that? I, I needed to let people know I felt that I needed to let people know what this album was going to do to them if they were the type of person like me to sit and really listen to the lyrics, which I understand or I, I'm starting to get an understanding that you are one of those people as well. I, I felt that it really needed to be at the beginning, possibly because I you know, was a child of the 2000s and really loved you know, Connor Oberst and Bright Eyes and the fact that a lot of times he would open records with these you know, sometimes sprawling, sometimes five, six minute sound collages of people, you know, talking or whatever. But you know the guy I, at the beginning of Casadega? Yes, that, exactly. That old man. I have no idea what that guy looks like. I never looked it up, but I was in Harrisonburg, Virginia in 2001, and I had just gotten my septum pierced, and I had this big, like, ugly looking septum ring. And I was in a Wendy's, and this guy came in, and he was like, you look like a hog <laughs> for whatever reason. I can't get that motherfucker's face out of my memory. And every time I hear that intro to that Casadega, you picture that dude. I picture that, that fat farmer trucker dude outside of Harrisonburg, Virginia. Anyway, I digress. As That's were, awesome. As I picture, were. I picture some dude out in, I don't know, like landers out in the desert, the high desert who's been like pickled by the sun and methamphetamine. <laughs> and is just, you know what I mean? Like he's had, some spiritual experiences. I don't know if they're uh, drug addled or actually spiritual, if he's been abducted by <laughs> aliens or what, but that's, that's who I pictured. So it, God bless you. <laughs> that it's a farmer in your memory. Yeah. Um, no, he's like a Wolford Brumley esque looking fellow. In my that's memory. awesome. That's great. <laughs> the, the catalyst for this entire record was um, going home after more than a year of not seeing any of my family members and then going back to upstate New York in uh, December of 2020, you know, so after a full year, just about a full year of just quarantine, you're in your home, not working from home, but really not seeing a lot of anybody except for your wife and your roommates. Then you see your, your family. And I saw the elder uh, members of my family just aged you know, just so close to death and in such a jarring and incredible way that it, I, I felt like I just completely lost so many opportunities, not just to like, 
sit down and talk with them to get a sense of really who they were. Because in some cases, I feel like I didn't really give them enough of a chance to figure out who they actually were. I just made some assumptions about them. Sure. But also to get some sort of semblance of my family. You know what I mean? These people are the historians of my family. Because, you know, who else are you going to ask about my great great grandfather, their right. actual grandfather? You know what I mean? Um, so it just really profoundly, profoundly affected me. Um, and since the record has been out, two of those family members have since passed away. So it's just like, I, you know what I mean? I needed to, I felt I needed to prepare the listener because that's where I was going to, that's where my headspace was when I was writing and recording these songs, you know? That's very interesting. And it's a brutally honest way to approach, you know, a, a record, you know, as a punk record, you know, in the, in the loosest definition yeah. of terms but punk adjacent punk adjacent <laughs> um well my condolences i'm sorry to hear about that and i think one of them recently passed yeah this past yeah i'm really yeah sorry it was a long i mean with with my aunt it was a long time coming she was uh working through i guess living with uh pancreatic cancer and it was you know it was a matter of time so yeah you also kind of have a lot of uh not a lot, a handful of religious references, and you have a lot of references to the idea of sobriety, but you don't write about sobriety in the way that I do, where it's kind of like you're mentioning it in this like tertiary way. You're 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 kind of mentioning it and referencing it in terms of finding a, a piece that kind of matches the gravitas of it. Like are are you sober? Is that something are you I, in a program or anything like that? I am not. There are days that I think I probably should be. Um, but if you're mentioning lyrical references from the very first record that I had clear heavens of this earth can breathe at that stage in my life, um, heroin had hit upstate New York, like a hurricane mm -hmm. and people that I, I don't know when you're a kid and you're in the dare program or whatever, and they talk about like somebody's going to come up to you at a party and offer you. You don't think that that's ever going to happen. It seems like a, you know, a, a daytime PSA. And it's and never you, the person that you expect it to when it actually does happen. Right. Absolutely. Never the person. And it's yeah. always somebody so much closer to you than you'd think. And in one scenario, my friend and I were having a very similar conversation to what you and I are having right now, where I was like, but dude, you're on the other end of this. You know what I mean? You're not high. I literally said this, these words. You're not high right now, are you? And he literally was like, yeah, I, I, I did heroin in the time that we hung out in like a three-hour period. And I couldn't believe it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So though, in those kind of experiences, the, the certain lyrics like, you know, Kyle came up to me and said, you lied. He said that you're his friend. He's not dead. Save John Boy's life that these those experiences really did happen to me a kid came up to me in a bar on my girlfriend's birthday and he was like yo do you know that kid john are you friends with him do you care about him well you better get through to him because he's gonna die if somebody doesn't and you know what i mean like so just like what do you do with that yeah that's heavy shit man and i, I so, give you credit for getting it you know on tape that couldn't have been easy or was it like did, did you find that once you had those troubling and difficult life experiences that it was easier for you as a as a writer to put that into songs or was it just kind of like 
Uh, I'll pull the curtain back a little bit, but I don't really want to be fully exposed in that capacity. I think it is easy to some extent, but again, if I'm being really honest with myself, it almost feels like a crutch or sort of like pimping out. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like I've heard some writers say, you know, when's the next terrible, I can't write. I'm in a, I'm in a good relationship. I'm in love or whatever, you know? So it's almost like it feels kind of false. And actually I think I get one of one stanza of the poem, uh, the you section of, of field gets into that. Like, are you using this as an attention grab? The vapidness of, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know what I mean? So on the, it was easy to write about it, but then on the other side of that, it's like, was it too easy to write about that? You know, why, why do you feel you need to write about, I don't know, but that's something for a therapist and I to get into perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that because that's what I was talking with my therapist about. The people I know are going to hear these songs eventually. Like this isn't yep. going to be easy in the long run. It's going to be really awkward, you know? Or it's not, you know, one time uh, a friend of mine shared that he was listening to my music with another friend and that person said, do people even pay attention to the words? Why does he spend so much time on them? So maybe they won't. Maybe it'll go right over their head. Perhaps, yeah. But then it's like, I feel like if that's the conundrum for me and that's what throws me back, you know. Well, I guess I'll ask. Back on the couch, yeah. Yeah, has anybody ever actually approached you, Jeff, and been like, is this song about me? No, but I've heard through the grapevine for a handful of people through multiple songs over my catalog. Actually, no, my sister thought that this really bitter, mean song that I wrote about a former member of the Unseen, who I was in a band with for a hot (laughs) minute, uh, was about her. And I was like, God, no. Like, I'm sorry you felt that way. (laughs) <laughs> what what in that song like makes me think or makes you think it was about you but no like there there were songs that I've written that were clearly about people I knew who had sobriety issues sure you know the song didn't cost me the friendship or cause the fallout but it didn't help for sure and fair and the same with with a couple relationships like it was like oh, we've got this detente, we're not together anymore, it's cool. All right, well, you just blasted our entire relationship history in one verse, you know, of Dance With Old Habits. I don't appreciate that. And yeah. I heard about that through the grapevine, but it wasn't it wasn't direct. And And I don't know, but I guess, like, in the grand scheme of things, like, the risk that we take as writers for that is is rather minimal. And, like, I think about it, like, I'm not, I, I'm writing this so that, you know, Jane Doe and Joe Q public can interpret it in their own way because that's what I do with songs. I don't like to know too much about songs because I don't want to be presumptuous and, you know, I I don't want to know. I don't want to know about Brian Adams girlfriend at the time that he wrote everything I do. I do it for you. Yeah. He had a girlfriend. He never has a long-term girlfriend. That's a whole other story. And I know that because I waited on him at that restaurant in Hollywood. And then he told you? (laughs) Oh, I know. Jeff, I never have a long-term girlfriend. No, when he has like a a string of of girls who look like they're, you know, 19 years old. Yeah. I I shouldn't say that publicly. I don't want to get into a litigious thing. But anyway, but I, I think like you feeling 
as if you're being an opportunist feels dirty. And I, I, I can get that. I can understand where you're coming from with that. But at the same time, I think it's our fucking job. Right. You know, in the same way that it's it's a, a painter's job to take that same experience and somehow get it on canvas. Like, right. Even if it doesn't make sense to, to us and, and our view of, of that painting, like that artist needs to get that fucking on there. And that's what I really like about your music is, excuse me, your music is very purposeful. You know, I don't love every song on your older records, but I got Fair. what you were going for. And this record was was the the one, not the first record that I was like, oh, this is all great. But like this record felt like the most uh, contemplative and the least rushed. Sure. Yeah, is I guess their assessment. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that also comes with being in a real studio with an actual producer. You know, yeah. What I mean? tell like, me about that. What was the name of the producer again? Uh, Jaden Seely. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, I mean, I brought him. 10 demos uh and a demo of me reading out that poem um so yeah we whittled that down to five songs that would work and some and one of the songs that ended up on the record shrouds um was like bits and pieces that he was like i think we should do this with this and you know and i had to rewrite some of the words same with first outer inner last was like bits and pieces that he was like, this needs a chorus. And then I was like driving from North Hollywood uh, at our lockout to um, his studio in uh, Highland Park and just came up with a chorus on the way. Nice. You know, so you can can get a lot of writing done in those uh, those really drives, right? You, you know it. Yeah. Especially uh, for people who have never had to drive in LA, man, North Hollywood and Highland Park are really not that far away. Probably like, seven miles 10 miles um <laughs> and it, 45 it'll take, minutes yeah. well, 45 minutes could take you an hour and a half depending yeah. um so but i appreciate you saying that yeah Jeff. of course man i'm not blowing smoke i don't have people I don't, I don't need to do this podcast i like doing it because <laughs> i like talking to interesting people are you trying to just do solo things are you trying to do things with your new drummer are you making plans or are you kind of waiting until we're a little want, further I mean, beyond this pandemic. I definitely that. Uh, I am having a big, I'm having trouble with the idea of playing indoor shows. Maybe I'm being a little bit too cautious. Um, but, you know, I, so one thing I, I don't talk about a lot uh, is that I am a social worker when I'm not um, making music. I oh. work with um, families that have children that have developmental disabilities. And, um, what we've been doing since the pandemic is uh, doing wellness checks on some of these families to, to see how COVID-19 has affected them. And I can't tell you how many people have gotten COVID uh, recently, like in the last two, two months yeah. or so. Yeah. And it's just not, I, you know, I'm fully vaccinated. Um, I may, because I'm technically under the, um, you know, the eyes of California, a healthcare worker, I may be able to get this like booster shot um, in probably September or October. But like the fact that there are breakthroughs, the fact that people who are fully vaccinated are in the ICU, really not making me want to be at Silver Lake Lounge spitting on a microphone where everybody else has been spitting on the microphone. Yeah. You know, 
I so it's tough. Feel the exact same way. It's yeah. tough to make plans. I we I meet up with uh, the new drummer is named uh, Alonzo uh, Figueroa. We call him Nazo. Um, he's been playing with me for actually a couple of years, um, but it seems like every time we make a f- couple of steps forward, something bad happens. We were gonna we had like twelve dates of a West Coast tour. My first real sturdy West Coast tour. Um, scheduled for April of 2020. So uh, you can see how Yikes. that worked out. Yep. Yikes. Yeah. So it's been, di- it's been difficult to plan. We have been doing a lot of making videos. You know, we made um, music videos for four of the songs on field. Um, we filmed the footage of two videos for the next release. And I have an idea of a third one. Um, but yeah, like I said, we have, when I went in with Jaden, we went in and recorded two full EPs, 14 tracks, um, 11 songs. So we have a whole nother uh, EP coming out in a little bit. When? Good question. Um, I, I We've been talking about this idea of like releasing a single a month. So I want to have all of the quote unquote, um, you know, assets. <laughs> available you know the videos yeah. the the photos or whatever the promo pictures all that stupid happy crap. yeah i want to have all that lined up so i i wanted to have it be before winter because this ep is more of a summary sort of record um but who knows probably i would say by november we'll probably have a single out makes sense so i look forward to it man well that's great was it's honestly this has been really cool for me. Um, I, I've been a fan of your music for a long time, and a learn this has been a learning experience because I was entirely aloof, and I just I feel so dumb uh, being unaware how close we were in the same circles for all these years, and now when we're finally touching base and getting to know each other, <laughs> we are actually tremendously far apart logistically speaking so that's unfortunate but the silver lining is you know now we can have this conversation to live indefinitely on the internet that is for sure so and we'll get sued by brian adams brian adams and hopefully that's the only one well well thanks for coming on the podcast man i really appreciate it no problem dude thanks for having me I really cannot sing the praises of the new record Field by Broken Field Runner enough. Thanks to Tony for coming on the podcast. And thanks again to our sponsors, our lovely sponsors at New Wave Flow State Coffee. NewWave.co slash Berman gets you 10% off your order of your new favorite coffee. You hear? All right. Let's get it. I'll see you all next week. Let's get it.